Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. Guys, we're in the Gospel of Luke. We've been on this earthwalk journey. We're up to chapter 20. Jesus is basically being confronted by the leaders at that time, the various factions of the leadership, trying to basically kind of discredit him, trying to make him look foolish, trying to show that he is not who he is. And and basically we've been kind of going through the Gospel of Luke, especially here in the 20th chapter, looking at these discussions. We've seen where Jesus has had discussions with them concerning the issue of paying taxes to Caesar, whether or not that's true or not. Now we're going to get to the point where he comes in contact with a group called the Sadducees. Now, let me kind of just help you to understand who the Sadducees are before we read the passage and before we see what's going on here. The Sadducees were a religious group within the political structure of Israel at the time. Even though they were dominated by the Romans, the Romans allowed them some sort of political freedom. So they were ruled by what was known as the Sanhedrin. A lot of you maybe have heard that term because that's the group that Jesus appeared before on the night in which he was betrayed. So he, the Sanhedrin was made up of different groups, but one group in particular dominated them, and that was the Sadducees. Now, who were the Sadducees? The Sadducees were a group, basically upper-class people. They were aristocrats. They were uh, priests from the temple. They were the wealthy. And they basically only believed in the first five books of what we would call the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. They did not believe in anything supernatural. And they didn't believe in the resurrection. So they take a turn now coming to Jesus and trying to discredit him by basically asking him a question that was very common in their day that they would ask the Pharisees all the time. And their whole purpose is to try to make him look foolish. Their whole purpose is to try to discredit him. And that's what we're going to see here is that we have this social elite. We have these folks who come across as being wise and wisdom is in their, in, their, in their area. And what we're actually going to see is that as they interact with Jesus, they're not going to be shown to be wise, but rather they're going to be shown to be foolish. And what Jesus is going to expose to us is, is that there is an ignorance within the wise. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the ignorance of the wise. And so let's look at this passage together. We're going to look at verses 27 through 40 and see Jesus' interaction with this group and what we can take home from it, what we can learn from it. So notice with me verse 27. Luke writes, Then some of the Sadducees, who deny that there is a resurrection, came to him and asked, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife, and he dies without children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died without children. 
And the second took her as a wife, and he died childlessly. And the third took her, and in like manner, the seven also. And they left no children and died. Last of all, the woman died also. Quite a question here, huh? Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as wife. That's a question, isn't it? Wow! Now listen how Jesus responds. Jesus answered and said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Nor can they die any more, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for we all live to him. Basically, we can divide this passage into two sections. We can see, first of all, the section concerning their question, and they're going to see wisdom expressed. So they're going to come across as these wise guys who basically are going to ask this really theological question, and they got a reason for it. And then we're going to see foolishness exposed because we're going to see Jesus interacting with them about it. So let's look, first of all, at their wisdom, their wisdom expressed. Here's what they're doing. They had already rejected the supernatural. They had already rejected the supernatural. Very first thing, when they come to Jesus, they're asking him the question, but they're already coming with a presupposition in their mind. Their presupposition that they have in their mind, as they're asking their, this question, is, is that there is no resurrection from the dead. So their minds are already made up, so they're not coming to him, basically asking him a question to be enlightened, they're not even coming to him to debate. Because, you know, when you debate with somebody, there's a possibility that maybe you could change someone's mind, right? And their asp- and, and their, where they were at is that they didn't, they didn't believe in it at all. They didn't believe in no supernatural whatsoever because they were above those menial beliefs of the common people. They were the wise ones. And they had already rejected the supernatural. So there they are. Coming to Jesus with this question about the supernatural, they don't even believe it. They don't believe it at all. Here's the second thing I want you to see. They use their wisdom to ridicule others. They use their wisdom to ridicule others. Here's the whole purpose for this crazy question. I mean, think about it. I mean, mean, this is the kind of question somebody sits around and thinks about for a long time. Well, let's see, there's a guy... You know, he's got seven sons, and according to Moses, you know, if he dies without a son, then the next son has to marry his wife so that they can bring up an offspring. Now, let me explain to you what's going on there. In ancient Israel, the inheritance, the piece of land that was given to each family was very important to them. And it was very important that they continue to have offspring that would continue on in that inheritance. And so God, therefore, set up laws in the Mosaic Law that if there was a family and the oldest son who would get the land, his wife was childless. And if he died, that wife would then be given to the next son 
so that a child would be born in the name of the first son who's dead, so that the inheritance would continue on. It was all about perpetuating the inheritance in Israel. So they're quoting this law, and they said, okay, well, what if there's seven sons, and the first one dies, no child, the second one takes her as his wife, and it goes on all the way to the end, seven sons, they all die, she's not had a kid by any of them, and she dies. In the resurrection, Jesus, whose wife will she be? So they're thinking, here's a question for you. That's kind of like the question some philosophers ask, can God create a rock big enough that he can't lift? Silly questions. The purpose of those questions is for one purpose only. It's not for enlightenment. It's not to grow. It's not to have understanding. The purpose of it is to use their wisdom to ridicule others. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been around a smart guy or a smart gal? And they know too much, and they know that they know too much, and everybody else doesn't equal them in their knowledge and understanding, and so therefore when they talk to you, or when they explain things to you, they talk down to you, they put you down, they even try to ridicule you by showing how superior they are in their knowledge, and that you're inferior. How many know what I'm talking about? Have you met somebody like that? They are out there, are they not? And this is what's going on here. The wise are expressing themselves, and their whole purpose in what they're doing, the whole reason for what they're doing, is to ridicule others. And in this instance, it's to ridicule Jesus. It's to discredit Jesus. It's to make Jesus look very foolish. And so, here's what I want you to see. They use the absurd to devalue faith. They use the absurd to devalue faith. I mean, you think about their question about seven sons, and each son has to have her when they die. The next son takes this wife, and they all live and die, and nobody has any children, and in the resurrection, whose wife? That's an absurd question. Do you know what I mean? That's not real life. That, that is just flat out weird. And the reason why they're asking that question is for one purpose only, to devalue faith to devalue belief, to devalue Jesus Christ. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever had a discussion with an unbeliever about what you believe? And as you share with them about what you believe, their response to you is to react to you in such a way, is to ridicule your faith, is to ask you things that in the end, all the whole purpose is, is to what? Devalue what you believe. And sometimes when you meet folks like that, it shakes you. You begin to wonder, am I really believing what is right or not? Because I can't answer this dude. He's bringing up stuff that I really can't answer. I, I mean, he's asking me questions like this dumb question, George. I don't know how to answer that. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, does Adam and Eve have a belly button? How do you answer that? Do you know what I'm saying? How do, how do you... I mean, those are ridiculous questions, but you've heard more absurd things that are out there. The whole purpose is to devalue faith. And that's what they're trying to do here. They're trying to devalue faith in people by, number one, discrediting Jesus. They're trying to discredit Jesus. So you think about the people you interact with and the wisdom that they have. Now, I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice how Jesus responds. Because they're asking him this question, whose wife 
will she be in the resurrection? Jesus responds, but I want you to notice how he responds. He doesn't respond by answering the question. He doesn't say, oh, well, she's going to be this guy's wife. Number four's wife. No, according to the law, number, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say anything about it. So we're kind of left hanging, wondering, well, whose wife will she be? It's not the point. That's not what Jesus is getting at. He gets to a different point. And what he's going to do is, is that he's going to, by his response to them, show them that they're not really that wise. That in reality, they're actually fools. In fact, isn't that what Scripture says? Professing to be wise, they became fools. And this is what Jesus is doing. So here you have this aristocratic elite. They're in control of everything. They're in control of the temple. They're in control of governance under the Romans' authority. They like things the way they are. They're wanting to discredit Jesus. They ask him this absurd question, and he replies back to them, but it's not in the way that they think, and it really exposes their foolishness. So look at what he says here. Look with me. We're going to read it again. Look with me at verse 34. Jesus answered and said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being the sons of the resurrection. First thing I want you to do see, see is this. Jesus exposes their ignorance concerning the afterlife. He exposes their ignorance about the afterlife. He doesn't answer their question. He says, basically, guys, here's the scoop. In this age, the world we live in right now, people marry and are giving in marriage. Isn't that true? Sometimes, somewhere, somewhere in Clearfield County this weekend, there probably was a wedding somewhere. You know that, I know that, maybe you attended a wedding, or you're going to attend a wedding. Weddings happen, marriages happen, that happens in this age. But Jesus then goes one step further, but he says, in the age to come, what age is he talking about there? The resurrection. When you and I, are, when we are in heaven, Jesus is saying, there won't be any more marriage. Nobody will be given in marriage. It's, it's like the marriage is for now. The procreation is what it, Scripture tells us in Genesis for, the, for bringing about offspring. But in heaven there won't be any more marriage. Some of you, that's going to be radical for you. But that's reality because some of you, we already know this. We have this happening even in our own church. We have folks who've lost their loved ones who didn't know Jesus. So marriage isn't going to be happening in, in, in heaven. But I do, here's what I like to say to Lori. Can I at least hang out with you there? Do, do you know what I'm saying? Can I at least hang out with you? Marriage is not going to be that big of a deal because the purpose for marriage is no longer going to be valid there. And so he's basically saying to them, guys, you, you don't really understand about the afterlife. You're asking this crazy question, and what you're showing by this crazy question is how ignorant you really are. How ignorant you really are about what's going on. Hey, you know what, folks? There's a lesson there. When you're dealing with somebody who's antagonistic towards your face, faith, and they're asking some weird question, really what's going on there is not, number one, that they want to be enlightened, because they don't, but there's another thing going on there. Their questions expose their ignorance of what, what really matters. You know what I'm talking about? Think about the guy you're working with right now who's so antagonistic, who's maybe launched into one of these crazy questions for you. He's not interested in learning. And by his questions, 
He's just simply expressing his ignorance or her ignorance concerning what you believe. Bottom line. And concerning the issue of the resurrection, Jesus says that they're pretty ignorant. The other thing he points out is this. Jesus states that not everyone will take part. Not everyone will take part. So immediately he goes and says, you know what, hey, you don't believe in a resurrection? That's fine, because I want you to understand something. Look with me. Look at what he says here. Verse 35, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead. What's he saying here? Those who are going to make it, those who are going to be worthy to enter into the resurrection age, who are going to be a part of heaven, those who are going to be there, marriage isn't going to be an issue to them. What's he saying here? He's basically saying to them, guys, there are some people who are going to make it, And then there are a lot of people who aren't. And he's saying to them, not everyone will take part. Not everyone will take part. Not everyone will be in heaven. Not everyone will make it. Because here's the point he's making here. Here's what we see in these verses. Eternity is not an extension of this life. This is the point that Jesus is saying. See, they've got it all figured out. They're wise. They're worldly wise. They understand how the world operates. They understand how things happen. They're the ones who are in control. And when you're in control, you've got to have a grasp on everything. Well, Jesus kind of, kind of comes to them and says, you know what? That's fine. You understand this age, but the next age you don't understand. You don't understand the next age. And as you don't understand the next stage, you need to grasp this point. Eternity is not an extension of this life. The only thing that is an extension of this life is you. And where you're going is going to be so different. It's going to even be a completely different world than what you understand right now. Here's one of the reasons why it's going to be completely different. You're not going to inhabit the same body. You're not going to be living in this same flesh. You're not going to be struggling with the same old things that you've always struggled with. Because one day when you go to be with Him and we enter into eternity, we're going to have new bodies. And the body of sin that we wrestle with every day, don't you and I wrestle with those bodies of sin? You know what I mean? And we long for the day, I mean, like Paul, Romans 7, Oh, wretched man that I am, who can release me from this body of sin? Thanks be to Christ Jesus, he says. We could be released from it. Life is going to be different. The war is going to end. What war, George? The mental war. The struggle between my body and my spirit, which goes on all the time. You know what I'm talking about? Tell me you know what I'm talking about. And it's going to end. And see, these guys, they want to ask some absurd question. And Jesus is saying, you guys have no clue what you're talking about. Because eternity is not an extension of life, this life. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad for that? Eternity is not an extension of this life. And then he goes on and he goes one step further with them, and this is like the coupe de grace. This is like the body slam with a pin for the three count. You ready? Here's what he's doing. These guys only believed in the first five books of what we call the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. So he goes back to the Pentateuch. He goes to the second book, Exodus, and he recalls to their mind the incident of the burning bush. And in the incident of the burning bush, God reveals himself to Moses. And Moses declares God, look at what it says there, verse 37, but even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live in him. So here's what's going on. Here's what he's saying. You have to just go all the way back to the beginning and see how God presents himself. And here's what, how God presents himself. There is a resurrection because God presents himself this way. God presents himself as the God of the living. He's not the God of the dead. He presents himself as the God of the living. I mean, here they are. Think about it. Here they are. They are probably about 1,600 years later from the time of Moses. And Abraham is about 2,000 years prior to that. And Jesus is saying that he's the God of Abraham, not the God of the Abraham who lived, but the God of Abraham. The implication is, is that Abraham is still alive. So there is a resurrection. You just Your body may physically die, but he's the God of the living. The point is, is that there is another life. There's a resurrection life. And this is the point he's making. The very books that you claim to believe, you don't really believe them, Jesus is saying, because in them they're saying that he's the God of the living. The God of the living. So there he is. What is he doing here? Here's what he's doing, and here's the implication for you and I. In our wisdom, we can show ourselves to be quite foolish. And the world is never going to truly comprehend and understand. Now, it's going to present itself as being smart. It's going to present itself as being educated. But what you need to understand is is that they don't grasp one key component of what's going on here. And it's one key component to understanding everything that Jesus is saying. It's the issue of faith. It's the issue of trusting in who God is and what he says. Versus what you think you know. Because Jesus is showing them, you think you know everything, and with your absurd question, you're really really showing that you are ignorant, and you have no understanding. And he tries to explain that to them. So you say, okay, George, how do we apply it to our lives? Well, let me just ask you a couple of key questions here. Number one, let me just ask you flat off. What motivates you? What do you mean? What does that got to do with our message here? Well, it has a lot to do with our message. Because some of you here, some of you are believers in Jesus Christ here. And we're glad for that. And we're thankful for that. But some of you here, you are in the midst of a wrestling match. And you're not sure if you believe. And you're even at the point where maybe you're just a tad bit antagonistic. Maybe not completely, but just a tad bit antagonistic. You're not sure if you believe, and you've got questions in your mind, and some of them are absurd. I'll be honest with you. Because the reality is is that you're not asking questions to bring you to Jesus. You're asking questions to keep you from Jesus. Do you understand the difference? You're not asking questions to be enlightened so that you can embrace. You're asking questions so that it can, you can continue on in the state that you're on right now, so you don't have to make the decision. So my question is, is what motivates you? How are you motivated? Are you motivated to learn all you can about Jesus and follow him with your life? Or at the heart of your heart, you're motivated to disprove him? Because you don't really want to have to answer to him. You don't really want to have to consider what he's saying. Are you there? What's motivating you right now? Here's the the other question. Are you trying to find a reason to devalue Jesus? 
Are you trying to find a reason to devalue Jesus? You know what? You don't even have to be an unbeliever to be here. You could be a believer in Jesus Christ, but maybe you're not where you should be in your relationship with Him. And you know very clearly that God has been speaking to you, telling you things in His Word that you need to do. But for some reason, you don't want to do it. And so right now, in your mind, you're playing a mental gymnastics thing where you are trying to disprove Him or devalue Him or devalue what it is that He's trying to tell you to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, you can be a believer and do those kind of things. I know I've been there. It's called justification. Do you know what I'm saying? When I want to justify the junk in my life, I go through all kinds of mental gymnastics trying to prove how Jesus isn't right in this one area of my life. And the reality is, is when we do that, all we're doing, listen to me, is expressing our what? Ignorance. We think we're wise. We think we're smart. We think we've got it together. We know what we're doing. But in reality, all we're showing ourselves to be is fools. So, I mean, what motivates you? And if you're here, are you trying to find a reason to devalue Jesus in your life? That's the reality. Are you trying to find a reason to devalue him? You know, as I think back in my life, you know, I've been a believer now 28 years. I can think back to instances... Many times over, it happens in your life where I have very clearly sensed God telling me to do something, and I flat out ignore it. And very clearly, try to find reasons not to do it. How to, how to, in my wisdom and in my smartness and all of my mental ability, which is nothing, try to figure out and try to explain why I should not do what he's telling me to do. All I'm doing is trying, all I'm doing is just trying to find a reason to devalue him. And you can do that. You know what? And here's what ends up happening. You fall flat on your face, and he brings you to the point where you recognize that you're wrong, and you come to repentance, and you deal with it. Now, I'd like to say that that's a one-time thing, but you know what? I've been around long enough to know in my life that I can think back to several times. When you think you got it together, and after one beat down, you maybe think that maybe you should do better from there on out. You don't, do we? Because we're human. So is it possible that you're here today and you're trying to devalue Jesus even though you know him as your Savior? Yeah, it's possible. What do you need to do about it? Acknowledge it and do what he's telling you to do because he's supreme. Here's the action point. Here's what you've got to do. Ask the Spirit to help you keep the proper focus. You know, it's intoxicating when you, you gain wisdom. It's intoxicating when you gain understanding. It's intoxicating to the point where you think that you are great. And you can lose your focus real quick with your, quote, knowledge. But in reality, all it's doing is feeding your pride and your own destruction. And you really need to ask Jesus to help you keep the proper focus. What's the proper focus, George? Keep the proper focus on Jesus, that he knows better, that he's in control. He understands far more than you do. You only have glimpses about what the future will be like. He understands it completely. And it's going to come to a place of humbling ourselves and saying to him, Okay, Jesus, you're the one in control. I give up control. I give up control. See, these guys, they thought they had their act together. 
But what they ended up really showing is, is that they didn't have their act together, that they were just plain fools. Maybe you're here and you think you've got your act together. Can I tell you something? You don't. But there is one who does. Get your focus on him. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.